And she would put leftover food in those butter containers. And so I'd open up the refrigerator and there'd be like seven or eight butter containers in there with no date on them. And so you had to decide whether or not you wanted to take life in your life in your hands by eating some of that food in the refrigerator. That was a serious choice, a life threatening choice. By the way, when meatloaf starts to get a little bit of water around the bottom of it, don't eat it. So at the start of another year, there's there's no greater decision that you need to make as to whether or not you're going to pursue righteousness or wickedness. There, there are two roads and there are only two roads. And you're either on the right road or you're on the wrong road. And this morning I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 1. And I thought what I might do is when I have opportunity to speak with you, I may just work my way through the Psalms here. That way I don't have to meander all around and try to figure out what I'm going to preach. I just go to the next psalm. (laughs) So we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning. Page 552 in those pew Bibles if you're using it this morning. And let's go ahead and read that. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are two ways, two ways to go, and you have a choice to make. So this morning, as you look at your handout there, we're going to see four contrasts from this psalm between the righteous and the wicked. And we're going to do that so that we will choose the right path and not perish in the way. We need to choose the right path, folks. And if you're on the wrong path, today's your day to get off it and get on the right path. This psalm, by the way, is essentially a preface for all the other psalms. That's why it's here as the first one. In other words, this psalm sort of begins the book of Psalms by setting up the major theme that's going to occur throughout all the psalms. And that is the difference between the righteous and the wicked. It's a contrast. It's a giant contrast. And it forces us as believers to choose right on the front side as you open this book, whose side are you going to be on? You are forced right away to determine if you are on the right path and in the right course of life, in the right assembly, or if you are on the road to destruction. It forces you to do that. It also emphasizes, verse 2, the absolute primacy and necessity of the word of God. You can't miss it. It sticks out like a sore thumb. So, what I want to do is have you look, first of all, at the first contrast. You find these in verses 1 and verse 5. This psalm, the way it's structured, verse 1 is going to parallel verse 5. Verse 3 is going to parallel verse 4. Verse 6 is a conclusion. And verse 2 sticks out on its own. There is no parallel to it. And so, 
as we look at this, one of the most striking features of this psalm, you look in verse one, is what we call synonymous parallelism. It means there are words that are similar to each other that enhance the other's meanings. And you see here, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. The parallels are piled up. There's three of them there. It's really striking in the original language. And it's, it's, uh, it's clearly meant to get your attention. You see the three phrases there. Walk, stand, sit. That's one parallel. You see the other counsel, path, seat. Those are the other synonyms. And then you see wicked, skinner, uh, sinners, scoffers. There's three sets of parallels, which is really striking in the original language. And all three are stated in the negative. What does that mean? Well, it means that the righteous man is described, first of all, by what he does not do rather than what he does. And that's important because that's what makes it parallel down in verse five, because down in verse five, we see what the wicked do not do. You see that? Look at verse five. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. See, the righteous man doesn't stand in the assembly of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers or stand in the path of sinners. That's what he does not do. And in the end, in the judgment, the wicked will not be able to stand among the righteous. They will not be able to stand in the judgment. So it's characterized really in the negative. It's describing what the righteous man is not, what he does not do. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. That's what he is characterized by, is his avoidance of the wicked. In other words, the righteous do not assemble with the wicked now. And in the end, the wicked will not be able to stand with the righteous in the judgment of God. That's the parallel. Some people see these three synonyms as kind of a kind of a buildup, kind of a progression of sin, if you will. In other words, uh, let me read this quote to you by Spurgeon here. When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. They have taken their degree in vice and as true doctors of damnation, they are installed. So he sees a progression. You're going from bad to worse. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but I think it's one possibility. I think the point here, if you look at Psalm 1, you see that phrase, how blessed is the man? There's no how there. It just says, blessed the man. That's all it says. Blessed the man. There isn't even a verb there. And if you look at Joshua 1.8, this is how Joshua begins. And Joshua would have been, for the Hebrews, would have been, the first book of the prophets in the Old Testament. There was the law, the prophets, and the writings, right? The prophets would have begun with Joshua with this same thing. You'll be blessed, Joshua, if you follow the law of the Lord, Joshua 1.8. Okay? And your way will prosper. It's almost identical to this. 
You get to Psalm 1, which begins the book of the writings, and here we have it again. Blessed the man who will do this. And when you get to the New Testament, guess what? The first discourse of the king in the first book of the New Testament is blessed are who? The poor in spirit. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a beatitude. And, and it starts each section of the scriptures like that. Blessed is the man who does this. The wicked don't. There are two ways to go. And you can either go the right way or you can go the wrong way. By the way, what we're really talking about here is not a literal road. I hope you know that. It's a metaphor. It's symbolic of a person, of how they, uh, how they live their life, which way they live their life, the, the manner in which they conduct themselves. It's not literally a road, just so we're clear on that. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul had this in mind when he wrote the book of Ephesians. We get to Ephesians 4, and he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called, and walk not in darkness but in light, and walk in the Spirit, and these are how we live our life, Right? And in the Hebrew language, by the way, there are many words used to describe sin. But all of them combined give us one picture. You know, there's transgressions, which is missing the mark. They're sort of violating God's commandments. But they all give us one picture and one picture alone. And that is that if you deviate off the path, and it's like a caravan going off a trail and wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert. All the Hebrew words for sin all communicate the same idea that any path other than God's path is off the trail. It's missed the mark. And so the wicked are that way. Now, perhaps it's a guy thing. It's not true of me, of course. But perhaps it's a guy thing. Many of you may actually uh, ask for directions when you get lost. Many of you probably don't. I don't. But my exhortation to you this morning, my counsel to you, is to stop right now and evaluate where you're at on the path. Take a look around. Look at your life and see where you're at. Are you on the path of righteousness or are you on the path of wickedness? Because there's only two. There's only two. Evaluate your life. Take a look around. Have you made choices in the last year that have put you on the wrong path? And check it out. See where you're at. Ask for directions. There really is only one place to get the directions, right? To get you back on the right path. And it's the Word of God, which actually leads us to our second point. So the first contrast is that there are two stands, two associations. There's the wicked, there's the righteous. You're either in one camp or you're in the other. You've got to choose sides. You've got to pick which side you want to be on. Either the side of righteousness or the side of wickedness. The second contrast, if you'll look there in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see that? As I said, there is no parallel in this psalm for this verse. The righteous are described in a positive way here, instead of the negative now, what they do not do. Now they're described by what they do do. What they do do. They are described by 
their love for the word of God. You see that? There's no parallel. If you were reading this in the original, this would this would cause it to jump out at you. See, the, the wicked, they have nothing. They have nothing to commend themselves to God, nothing to grow in sanctification. They don't have the indwelling spirit of God. They got nothing. They don't have the word of God. They reject it completely. But the righteous man, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates constantly. You notice that verse 1, as I said, is paralleled by verse 5. We've already looked at that. Verse 3, the two pictures are paralleled, the tree and the chaff. And here, there's no parallel. Literally, this says that the righteous man delights in the Torah of Yahweh. The Torah of Yahweh, the law of the Lord. And that's the contrast, really. The righteous, they delight in the word of God. They meditate on it day and night. And we think, delight in law? Well, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, we don't normally delight in law, right? It sounds a little burdensome, a little heavy, a little... Maybe I don't want to delight in it. But yeah, I think it is. I think it's an indication of the new birth. I think it's an indication of the new birth. If if your affections have been changed, you will love the Word of God. You will love the Word of God. You cannot live without the Word of God. It's life to you. It's breath to you. It's everything. Apart from the Word of God, you have nothing. The word meditate in the Hebrew is the word hagah, and uh, it can either mean to to uh, moan or to groan or to meditate or to muse. And in a in a nonverbal way, it means to meditate, to chew on it, to digest it, to ruminate on it. So it's 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 sort of deep reflective thought is what it's talking about here. It's it's meditating on the word of God, and it usually occurs with phrases like day or night or during the watches of the night. You can look up Psalm 63.6 for that. And meditation is usually, typically, appears in the Scriptures as an act of the righteous. It's an act of the righteous. It's what they do. They meditate on the Word of God. Proverbs 15.28. And it, it focuses the meditation, the object of the meditation is the law of the Lord or the Lord Himself or the acts or the deeds of the Lord. That is what the righteous meditate on. And they, they don't just meditate on it for their encouragement. They meditate on that object as if it would change them by doing so. I.e., God, that they would conform to the object of their meditation. By day and night, it's all the time. There is no other time of day, right? It's either day or it's night. There is no other time. It's all the time. It's a comprehensive term. Well, what about the wicked? As I said, there's no parallel for them. They have nothing. They're like lost in a fog. They don't have the Word of God. They reject the Word of God. They don't want the Word of God. They hate it. They hate it. And whether it's outright rejection of Christianity or the denial of God's truth, they reject it altogether. They hate it. They hate the Word of God like liver oil to them. But David understood what it meant to delight in the law of the Lord. And if you're not there, well, since you're in the book of Psalms, turn to Psalm 19. I want to show you this. Verses 7 to 10. 
Psalm 19 is a great psalm. It's first part of it is all about God's works. The second part is all about God's word. And here we are in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 10. And he begins this long series again of synonyms. You see this? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Each of these words, the law, the testimony, the commandment, they're all synonyms for God's word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. They also uh, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Sweet. The word of God is sweet. It's more desirable than a pile of gold. That's how the righteous view the word of God. It's not drudgery to them. It's a delight. It's a delight. And I guess the question for you this morning is, can you honestly say that you love the word of God? We're looking for indicators here. We're looking for indicators to see if you're on the right road or if you're on the wrong road. Do you love the Word of God? How much time do you spend in it? Do weeks go by before you pick up the Scriptures and read them? Do you know it? Do you study it? Is it life to you? Would you wither and die without it? Is it burdensome for you to read the Scriptures? See, if, if you love God, you will love His Word. Why? Because the Spirit of God authored the Scriptures and the Spirit of God indwells you as a believer and the two recognize each other as old friends. Do you understand that? You will delight in the Word of God because it's authored by God and God indwells you. If you don't like the Word of God, it's a clear indicator that you're probably not saved. And you need to stop and you need to evaluate Am I on the road to judgment or I am, on the, am I on the road to life? There's two roads. Which one are you on? Third contrast. We've seen so far a contrast in stands and associations. We've seen the contrast in their views of the scriptures between the righteous and the wicked. Third contrast. Two different life results. See this in verses 3 and 4. There's, there's two pictures put together here for us. See verses 3 to 4. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Two pictures stuck side by side. Two agricultural pictures in order to enhance the views of the two roads. Two life results here. There's a tree and there's chap. And in the Hebrew, there's uh, what we call assonance going on here. The two words sound a lot alike. There's ka'etz, which is a tree, like a tree. And there's kemotz, which is like chaff. Okay? So it's, it's the two sound a lot alike. And so it, it couples these two pictures together and it tells you you're either... A tree or your chaff. 
You're one or the other. You're on one road or you're on the other road. You're on the road of righteousness. You're on the road of wickedness. The tree, obviously, is the righteous. You see that there in the text, verse 3? The righteous who meditate on the word of God constantly are like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. The righteous are like a nurtured tree. They're like a like a nurtured tree with green leaves, lush, beautiful. And the idea here is that they're fruit bearing. They're green. They're prosperous. And this picture, by the way, may be and I'm OK with this, but it may be adopted from Egyptian literature. Let, let me uh, let me read this for you. Uh, this comes from uh, ancient Near Eastern texts. It says, but the truly silent man holds himself apart. He is like a growing tree in a garden. It flourishes and doubles its yield. It stands before its Lord. Its fruit is sweet. Its shade is pleasant. And its end is reached in the garden. So this idea of a a, a cared for and nurtured tree probably was borrowed from other other, um, cultures. I don't have a problem with that. Listen to this quote by Derek Kidner. He says, Egyptian jewels as the Exodus, have been reset to their advantage by Israelite workmen who, and put to finer use. So they took the picture and they adapted it and they made it work for God's people. I'm okay with that. This idea of firmly planted, look at the text, you see that? It's actually transplanted. It's actually the word transplanted. And the idea of streams is actually canals or channels. In other words, it's like not a voluntary tree like what keeps coming up in my backyard. But it's a tree that has been intentionally placed next to a channel of water so it can be nurtured and cared for. That's the picture that we have here. It bears fruit. It prospers because of its setting. Turn to Jeremiah, if you will. Turn to the right there. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Seventeen, seven through eight there. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. There you have it. There's another picture of that tree imagery. But here, it sometimes symbolizes trust in God. Sometimes a tree planted firmly and growing strong symbolizes trust in God. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Sometimes, as in Psalm 92, 12 to 15, it's the fate of the righteous. It's where they end up. They're like a tree in the garden of God. Often in the Psalms, you'll see water associated with the courts of God. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that's what the picture is. I think the righteous man is said to be like a tree specifically because of his meditation upon the word of God. Because he meditates on the word of God day and night, he's like this 
this great mighty tree that cannot wither, cannot die, it will not lose its leaves, and it will bear fruit often. And that's the picture that we have. Whatever he does, he prospers. You know, the health and wealth guys love this kind of verse. Whatever you do, you'll prosper, right? If you just read the Scriptures, whatever you do, God will prosper you. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying at all. Turn to Joshua 1.8 for me real quick. Let's get a little context on this. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. What is that verse talking about? The Israelites are about to go in and take the land. They are in a covenant with God. If they obey God's laws, God will prosper them as a nation. He will Give them the land. He will bless them in the land. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant. It's part of the Mosaic covenant, by extension. This is not for us in the sense that if we will meditate long and hard enough that we can speak faith into existence or we can speak blessings into existence. It does not guarantee us that as believers, things will always go great. It does not mean that we will be blessed all the time. We will be blessed by God in the midst of trials, but it does not mean that trials will never come your way. It also does not mean that if you meditate and pray long enough on the Word of God, that you'll have a successful business. Or that your debt will be cleared up miraculously. Or that you will never get sick and die. That is not what this verse is talking about. What it's saying is that if you will meditate long and hard on the Word of God, then when affliction comes your way, when trials come your way, that you'll be able to stand firm in the midst of them because you'll be rooted in the Word of God. You'll be rooted in truth. It does not guarantee you blessings. It does not going to increase your bank account. So despite what you hear on television, despite what you're sold by the health and wealth guys, this is not what this verse is talking about. The pursuit of God through meditation upon his word means that when life's trials come, you'll be able to stand in the midst of them. That's what it means to prosper. Emphatic in the verse, if you'll look back with me there. Verse 4. Remember I said these two pictures are side by side. Look at verse 4. This is emphatic. And they've, they've sort of softened it here by saying the wicked are not so. It literally says, not so the wicked. It's very emphatic. The wicked are like chaff. They're not like a tree. They're like chaff. You know, in the harvest season, when they would, when they would pull down the grain and they would let it dry out in the sun and then they'd take it and they'd put it on these things and they'd throw it up in the air and, and the chaff would blow away in the wind. That's the picture that we have here. And that the, the grains of the righteous ones fall by the winnower. They stay with the winnower. The chaff blows away in judgment. These two pictures, uh, they really give us kind of a clear indication of where your life is. Where your fate lies based on the road that you're on. 
what is your response to the word of God? You're either responding to the word of God and you're like a tree that is firmly planted by channels of water and cared for and nurtured or you will dry up and you will wither and you will waste away and be blown away in the judgment. You're either on the right road or you're on the wrong road. You'll either prosper or you'll perish. There are two ways to go and you need to choose. You need to choose which way you're going to go. By the way, Look at verse 5. Notice the indefinite article in front of the word judgment, the word the. They will not stand in the judgment of God. Okay? It's not just any old judgment. It's the judgment. And the idea of standing here does not mean they won't be able to stand up. It just means that they won't have a legal standing. They will have nothing to commend themselves to God. They will have no legal standing before God. They will be condemned guilty and they will perish with all the rest of the wicked. It's a frightening thought. It's a frightening thought. You don't want to be there. You do not want to be there. Choose this day, folks, who you will serve. So we've seen three contrasts so far. Two different stands, two different associations, two different views of Scripture, and two different life results. And the fourth contrast, two different relationships to God. You see that in verse 6? Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See that? Eternal life comes through your relationship with God. It's your connection to God. You are either in a relationship with God or you are out of a relationship with God. There is no in-between. And grammatically, if you look at this, the way this verse is structured, what's being emphasized here is the two ways. This is the concluding thought. There, There is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And one is known by God, and the other, you finish it. He'll perish. He'll perish. Literally die. He'll die. Each of these two ways are two destinations on a road, and and one either leads to life or one leads to death. I remember a couple of years ago, well, I guess it was a while ago now. I'm going to give away my age here, I guess. But there, uh, do you remember that earthquake that happened over in, uh, yeah, you know, Northridge. Thank you. That earthquake that happened over in Northridge. Do you remember what happened? One of the freeways dropped to the ground and collapsed. And there was this, I, I still remember it to this day, there was this police officer just riding down the road like nobody's business on his motorcycle and not knowing the road was out. And what happened? He just flew right off the end of that road and he crashed and burned at the end of it. That's a picture of what we're talking about here. There are two ways to go. One road is a burned out, broken down judgment. The other way will get you to where you want to be. 
There's two ways to go. And it's your choice. Look back at the text with me. You know, this is when it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's not just that he he knows it's there or he knows it. It's relational knowledge that we're talking about here. God is intimately involved with the way of the righteous. It's a sense of, if you will, watchful care and love. You look at Psalm 31, 7. And the fact is that it's actually a verbal noun. It's a participle. It's not a verb. It's not a finite verb, which means and which tells us that it actually describes the character of God more than anything else. It's descriptive of God's character. God is a knower of the way of the righteous. He is knowing their way. This last verse here not only concludes, if you will, the entire book of uh, this entire psalm, but it, it sets the pace for the entire rest of the book of Psalms. And if you look actually at verse one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and then just read the last part of the last verse, but the way of the wicked will perish. You get the idea of the contrast there. The man who does not hang out with the wicked will be blessed, but the wicked will perish. That's the idea. For the righteous, their way is known by God and he's at the end of their road. For the wicked, they will die. They will perish. Because they are not known by God. They are not known by God. And notice, look back at the text, it's not them that will perish necessarily. The psalm says the way will perish. In other words, the way itself will die out and it will lead to death. This ought to remind you, it ought to jolt you. Right away, your mind ought to be thinking Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, right? Where does the harlot's steps lead to? Her path leads down to Sheol, to death. There is a right way to go, which is to avoid the harlot altogether. And there's a wrong way to go that you give in, you cave in, and you act immorally with the harlot. Starts with the eyes and the flirtation, moves on to actions and behavior. And before you know it, you're going down to her house And the next thing you know, you're involved in an immoral affair. And the next thing you know, you're characterized by it. And the next thing you know, you're standing before God saying, yeah, but. Man, we need to, I'm going to speak to you men for just a moment here. We need to view harlots the way God views them. And they're everywhere today. They're everywhere in our society. They're in newspapers. They're on billboards. They're in the office. And there are people that will not think twice about destroying your marriage. They will target you. They will ensnare you. And they will kill you. You need to understand what their motivation is. It's to take you down. The Proverbs are very clear. Do not give in to that. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. You set up fences around your marriage. You protect 
your marriage. You guard your marriage. You, you don't allow flirtations outside of your marriage. You delight yourself in your wife. You don't give in to harlots. They will lead you to death. Young men, I tell you the same thing. You men that are in college or high school, you're going to be exposed to some things that you probably wish your eyes would never see. And I'm telling you right now, guard your eyes. You know, it's like that little nursery rhyme. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. If you give in to that stuff, men, it will captivate, it will grip your heart, it will dis- your desires will be for that more than for God and His Word, and you will perish in the way. You will be characterized by it. And if you sow a thought, you reap an action. And if you sow an action, you reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. It's progressive. Don't give in to it. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. There are two stands. There are two views of Scripture. There are two life results. And there are two relationships with God. There are two ways. And you need to choose. Look back at verses 3 and 4 with me real quick. I want you to notice something here. There's only one tree. And there's a multitude of chaff. You see that? There's only one tree. There's a lot of chaff. Few find life, but many find death. You know, Jesus taught these same truths in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that, as I said, that begins with a beatitude as well, right? But it ends in the same way. And notice... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners. We know how Psalm 1 ends, but I would like you to see how the Sermon on the Mount ends if you want to turn there with me to Matthew chapter 5. Actually, turn over to uh, 7. Start in verse 13. Jesus taught these same truths. They were not revolutionary, new ideas, new concepts. This was the same thing. The first discourse of the king ends with the same warning. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Just look at that with me, and you, you just see this. There are two gates. There are two ways. 
There are two bushes. There are two trees. There are two kinds of fruit. There are two life results. There are two ways. There are only two ways. There is a way that leads to life, that is righteousness. And there is a way that leads to death, wickedness. As the new year approaches, folks, take a look around. See where you are. Evaluate your life. Have you trusted in the righteousness of Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. What did he call himself? The way. There is a way of righteousness. There is a way of wickedness. Jesus is the way. You know, you and I are righteousness challenged. We need righteousness to come before a holy God, and we don't have it. We don't have it. We have nothing to offer God. The only thing we have to offer God is the righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness, that that righteousness that, that was earned by living a perfectly sinless life. And it's credited to your account by faith. Without that righteousness, you cannot come before a holy God. God is holy. And He demands perfect righteousness. And you don't have it. The only place you have it is outside of yourself, somewhere else. Think of it like a Swiss bank account. It's the righteousness of Christ which is credited to you by faith. And you must have that righteousness. You need the way, which is Jesus Christ. Without Him, you will perish in the way with the rest of the wicked. This is your day. This is your day. There are two ways. Either the way of the wicked, and you will perish, or the way of Jesus Christ, and you will live. Choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray.